We've been looking at a lot of things. We've been looking at what is temptation, where does it come from, and how do we deal with temptation? We said that temptation was the pull to do wrong. Where does it come from? Basically, the world, the flesh, the devil, that idea. How do we deal with temptation? We've been seeing all kind of things. This is actually part five of victory over sin and temptation. And what we saw is that there were three big areas that God gave us. He has promises, his provisions, and responsibilities. We've seen his promises. And now we're right in the middle of our provisions, uh, or his provisions. And then we're going to look at our responsibility, and that'll be like the, probably the last lesson. It won't be but just maybe one more lesson or maybe two more lessons at the very most. But anyway, this is where we are. We're seeing our responsibility. We're seeing God's provisions and God's promises. Well, God's provisions, three big areas, and what we talked about was he gave us the Word of God. He gave us the Holy Spirit. But one thing that sometimes is forgot, because we all say, oh, yeah, we got the Bible. Yeah, we got the Holy Spirit. Well, we forget about the armor of God. And so we've been seeing the armor of God. We've been seeing the six parts of the armor. And uh, God has provided the armor so that we can stand in a fallen world. So here's where we are. And we looked at it, and I'm going to give you a little bit more, uh, a quick review, and then we'll get into it. But let's think about this. Let's think the Bible is the greatest book of all. I mean, it's, you know, you go to bookstores. I went to a bookstore over the, when we went to L.A. and uh, lower Alabama. And when we got there, you know, I went to a bookstore, and, there's, and they say, number one bestseller. But the truth is, it's not the number one bestseller. The number one bestseller on any list every time is the Word of God. The Bible is the number one selling book in the world every week, every time, every year. They don't even list it anymore. Now, if they listed the Bible as a book being sold, like they do all the other books, it's always number one. So it, it is. It's powerful. It's alive. It's, it's God's written revelation. God spoke using 40 different authors over 1,500 years. The central message is the reconciliation of man to God. Some people don't know the Bible. In fact, uh, we're literally in a country of biblical illiterate people. If you go back about 60 or 70 years and you ask basic Bible questions, most of the people knew the basic questions and answers. Nowadays, when you ask basic questions, some people have never heard any of these things that we're talking about. And our culture has never heard any of the things we talk about. I can still remember growing up, I was, we never went to church. Y'all know that. I trusted Christ when I was at college. But uh, we didn't go to church. But when somebody said, do you go to church, we said, of course. Because there was a church. We'd say, we went, we went to Popple Springs Drive Presbyterian Church. We went there once. But everybody was connected with the church. I mean, nobody said, we don't go to church. Everybody connected with something. And uh, so, but our culture has totally changed. A guy by the name of Richard Leader wrote in National Review, he did a study, and he got some, these were, I'm not sure what age group people wrote these answers, and I mean, I, it says they're true. So I just wanted you to read. These are some, some people writing about what they thought about the Bible. And so here's some of them. First one, the guy writes and says, In the first book of the, of the Bible, Genesis, uh, God got tired of creating the world, so he took the Sabbath off. That's one. Then it says, Noah's wife was called Joan of Arc, and Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day and a ball of fire by night. Uh, the fifth commandment is for children to humor their mother and father. Uh, one of the, I love this one. This is my favorite. The greatest miracle in the Bible is when Joshua told his son to stand still, and he obeyed him. I mean, y'all have to, if y'all don't know the Bible stories, these aren't any funny at all. But you know that Joshua made the son stand still, not his son. Uh, last one, when Mary heard that she was the mother of Jesus, she sang the Magna Carta. Okay. Anyway, so people, it's sad. People don't know the Bible. Now, think about this. We don't know the Bible. Why? Because churches are not teaching the Bible, and people are not studying the Bible. A Gallup poll came up. It's just about two or three years ago, and it said this. 
that over 60% of Americans do not know what the Trinity is. Trinity is what? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 60% of Americans do not know. 66% of Americans cannot tell you who gave the Sermon on the Mount. Who gave the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus did on the Sermon on the Mount. 79% were unable to name any Old Testament prophet. Name one. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Uh, you know, you just start going down the list. So, number one, churches are not teaching the Bible. <coughs> In an article, that is called The Value of Expository Preaching by a guy named Randall Johnson. Here's what he said, and I say the same thing. He says, all too often biblical passages are read to the congregation that resembles the national anthem. It gets things started, but it's never referred to again in the lesson. And how many of you have talked to people who said, we went to a church, they had a scripture reading somewhere in the thing, but they never used it again, and they actually never used the Bible again. I can remember going to a, to a, a, a church when I was at Dallas Seminary, one of the biggest churches in Dallas, and went there, and not a single person had a Bible. I had a Bible. I was the only person there that had a Bible. And <coughs> they never used the Bible in the whole service. Never used it one time. Never even, never. They talked about the Bible, but they never used the Bible, and they never had a reference at all. The second thing is that people are not studying the Bible. The Bible tells us to study to show yourself approved, a workman need not be ashamed, and inaccurately the word of God. First Peter 2 2, as a newborn babe, desire the sincere miracle of the word. Philip Hughes is a pastor at the college church in Wheaton, and here's what he says My experience is that if I studied the Bible, and, and I continue to study it over and over. In fact, even reading the same book and studying the same book years later not only refreshes me, but helps me remember what I might have forgotten. And that is the truth. Sometimes I'll talk to people and they'll say, what are you going to study next? And I'll say something like Philippians. And they say, oh, we studied that 10 years ago. I go, well, so you got it 10 years later. You know everything about it. Most of the time they don't even know what Philippians is about. But they've said, but we've already studied that. The truth is we could study Daniel again starting this fall and we'd all be going, oh, I've, I never saw that the first time. I never thought about that. Oh, that's how that fits together. And that's what makes the Bible amazing. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so this morning, we're going to see the last piece of the armor. And it is, as he calls it, the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So that's what we're going to look at, the sword. And we're going to just touch on it. And we're not going to go into a lot of detail. <coughs> but... Uh, let's think about the, the armor. We've seen the belt of truth. The truth is everything. If you don't have the truth, you have nothing. That's why Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Bible is the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. The truth is everything. If you can't depend on Scripture, if you can't depend on who Jesus is and what he said and what he does, if you can't depend on that, you have nothing. We live in a world in which truth is, is, is debatable. It's like I have my truth and you have your truth. That may be true for you, but this is what's true for me. It doesn't make sense, and it can't make sense, but in a culture in which there is no objective truth, uh, then anybody can say, well, I believe this, and you may believe this, even though they're two opposite things. So it, we start with the truth, the truth of the Bible, and the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Remember, we've been made righteous. May I ask you the question a couple weeks ago? How many of you in this room are perfectly righteous? What's the answer? Every one of us who know Christ is Savior. We're perfectly righteous. We're to live out our righteousness. That's the breastplate of righteousness. Then there's the shoes of the gospel, which is to put on them the message and take the gospel message into our community. And too often believers, uh, all the studies show, 80 to 85% of believers go through life never sharing their faith. So ask yourself this question. Don't answer it, but not to me, to yourself. When was the last time you shared your faith 
ask somebody and talk to somebody about Jesus Christ. And if it's been a while, you need to go back to God and say, Lord, I want to start thinking this way. I, I know the gospel. I know the message. I want, you, I want to start looking for people, bring people into my life that I may have an opportunity to share my faith. You don't want to get to the end of your life and say, I wish I would have told people about Jesus. And so that's the, the gospel, the gospel of peace. And then the shield of faith, of course, there's all kind of things going on, uh, that the doubts and temptations. Uh, the doubt, do you know what the devil wants to tell you? You're not, even though you're a Christian, you're not good enough to serve God. You're not. That's what he wants you to know. You're not good enough. I don't even know why you try. Why should you even go to church? What difference does it make? Because you're, you're not very good. You, you don't really have any spiritual gifts, and even if you had them, you're not, and we're not even sure you could use them. That's what he, he wants you to doubt everything. He wants you to believe that God can't use you, and he wants you to quit. And see, the shield of faith says, no, 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 no. I'm a child of God, and I got spiritual gifts, and I got the Bible. I got the greatest message of all. I got fellow believers. We can touch lives for Christ, and we know the schemes of the devil. He's going to tell you all these things. And then the helmet of salvation, which we know is, is talking about that God has saved us in the past, is saving us now, will save us in the future, justification, sanctification, glorification, all of those things. Now, to the last one, the sword, the word of God. And that is the key. And that is the bottom line. Are we ready to go out these doors to stand in the battle against the rulers, the powers, the world forces of darkness? I've uh, been putting together this message for next fall for our class, Angels and Demons. And the more I study, I mean, when you first say angels and demons, and you think, yeah, you know, the Bible has some things about angels and demons. No, the Bible doesn't have some things about angels and demons. It is full of angels and demons. There is a spiritual aspect that we totally almost ignore. Do you think there are good angels in this room right now? Do you think there are bad angels in this room right now? There are. Do you think there's a spiritual battle going on that we don't even see? Okay? And, and so, I mean, he, we got, he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We got to do this. There were, as, as you look in the Bible, there were five types of swords that are mentioned in the Bible. There's that long curved sword. You know, you've seen them where it looks like a big thing. And, a, you know, I don't know about that one. And then, then there's the long, sharp sword, which is like a big old sword. And then there's a sword that sometimes there's a word meant like a trophy. It was, you didn't fight with it. You set it up. Then there was a sword called a sacri, which was a hidden sword, which some of, the, some of the rebellious, when the Jews were fighting against the Romans, they would take these little swords that were not very long, and they would tape them inside their arm. like They would fix it where it would, and then would come, and they'd, you know, wrap it around. And then they would get there, and then they would pull it out, and they would stab people, and then they would step back out of the crowd. So they'd kill somebody in the crowd, and nobody would ever know who did it. And then there's the last one. It's called a two-edged sword, and it's the Greek word makaira. This is the one the Romans use. You always see the picture of the Roman soldier, and he's got this sword that looks like it's about that long, and it's a double-edged sword. And so the Romans were the ones that perfected that because most people had, like, a big old sword, and the Romans would just, just cut them to pieces. That's how they were able to conquer the world, a double-edged sword. I want you to look with me. Just turn to Hebrews chapter 4, okay? And I want you to look at verse 12. And as you're turning there, I'll put it up right here, Hebrews 4, 12. I want us to look at the verse. Look what it says. For the word of God is what? Living and active and sharper than what? Two-edged sword. So when, when the writer of Hebrews wrote this, which was before A.D. 70, so the Romans were ruling the world. 
And everybody would know what a two-edged sword is. And so the writer of Hebrews says, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing for us the vision of the soul and the spirit, both of the joints of the mirror, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So let's talk about it for just a second. Just keep there in your passage. It, it's alive and active. You understand that the Bible is not some passive thing? It's not just a book you read occasionally. It is alive. It is controlled, and the Holy Spirit uses it. When you and I read the Bible, it's actually alive. It's alive and powerful. It, it, it's, it's living and active. It says sharper than a two-edged sword. So the Word of God is powerful. Now, I want you to notice what it goes on to say. Piercing as far as the division between soul and spirit. What? what? Outside we're physical. Inside we're spiritual. And inside a believer, there's two parts of our uh, spiritual part. There is what we call the, the human spirit, and then, that, and then there's the soul. Human spirit is the part that's born again when you believe. We all come in this world, as we have souls, but we, we are dead spiritually. The moment you trust Christ, you're alive spiritually. So inside of us, there is the soul and the spirit, which is spiritual. And, but what does it say the Word of God does? Pierces as far as the division of the soul and spirit. Oh my gosh. The soul relates to the world around us, the mind, the emotions, the will. The spirit is the one that relates to God. And so the, whole, the word of God affects us. And look what it goes on to say. And both of joints and marrow and able to judge, the Bible judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible not only judges what you think, but why you think it. It's amazing. Have you ever read the Bible and you're reading something that you've read many times and all of a sudden it's almost like, I've never saw that before. I've never thought about that before. I've never put that together before. And you know, you realize that, let's say you study Philippians and you study Philippians for a year, just yourself, and you go, wow, that's fantastic. And then a year later, you come back and you decide to look over Philippians again. And as you're starting to read it again, suddenly you see something you've never seen before. And you just said, I studied it for a whole year. Didn't I get everything there was to get? No, you will never will because it's alive, it's powerful, it's sharpening to its sword. It goes right to the heart of the issue. And here's another thing to think about. A year later, you're not the same person you were when you studied it the first time. You've learned more. There's other things in the Bible. Suddenly you'll read a verse and you'll go, wait a minute, over there in Deuteronomy, that, that fits together. So you didn't know Deuteronomy a year ago when you were studying that. So it is alive. It's powerful. Sharper than two-edged sword. I have a quick story. Um, you may have heard. I think I've told this before. But in Reading, Mississippi, I'm, one night I went out. It was in the summer. I went out of my house. I think I was like 14. And I heard what I thought were firecrackers. And I thought, hmm, this is not, it's not Fourth of July. And the next day we found out that those were gunshots. And then the block over, a guy by the name of Tommy Terrence, who was a white guy, wanted to kill a Jewish family because he hated Jews. So he put a bomb in their house. And as he was about to detonate the bomb, the police had gotten a tip, and they got there, and all that noise was the gunshots. They were shooting at each other. He was shooting at them, and they got him. They shot him in his arm and just, like, blew his arm to pieces. And they put him in parchment, which is like McAllister. It's the state prison in Mississippi. And <clears throat> so... I grow up, go to college, get out of college. I'm coaching at Mississippi State. And my best friend in college was uh, 
a track guy with me, and he ended up working at Parchment as a vocation rehabilitation instructor. So meaning when a guy got ready to get out of prison, he helped them get jobs, get skills, get trained so they could get jobs when they got out of prison. He called me one time and said, when are you going to come visit me at Parchment? I said, I don't think I'm ever going to come visit you at Parchment, Lord willing. He said, no, no, come on. It's not what you think. He said, a lot, of, a lot of these guys have freedom to walk around. It's not what you think. So I got there, and he said, hey, I want you to meet a guy. I said, meet a guy? I said, who? He says, his name's Tommy Terrence. I went, oh, I know who Tommy Terrence is. I said, isn't he the guy that tried to blow up that house in my hometown? He went, yeah, but he's become a Christian. He wants to meet you because I told him about you as my friend. I said, okay. So we go into this room, and here comes Tommy Terrence, in. and his arm is all messed up. But, and he comes up, and he says, so, JB, the first question I want to ask you is, when did you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior? So I told him, and we sat down, and he said this. They put him in parchment, and since he tried to kill people with a bomb, and he shot people, and then he had tried to escape, and he actually stabbed, a pull, stabbed one of the guards, got away, they caught him again, brought him back. So they put him in solitary confinement, and they wouldn't let him have anything except a Bible. And Tommy Terrence said, I hate Jews, I hate Anybody that's not me. And he said, so I wouldn't even look at that Bible for a long time. And he said, then I started reading the Bible. And I started reading about Jesus. And he said, all of a sudden, I began to see who Jesus is. And by the scripture, I understood that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins and rose again and would give me eternal life. And I trusted Christ as my Savior. Okay, that's from the Bible, right? That's not from somebody sharing their faith with him. See, the Bible is alive and powerful. Now, we're supposed to share our faith. But let me tell you, God, God uses his word because it is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You just got to remember that. That's why we support the Gideons. Gideons take every bit of money we give them, and they don't use it at all for themselves. All the money goes to Bibles. They put the Bibles everywhere. They put them in hotels. They give them to the military. They get them all over the world. Why? Because some guy might pick that thing up, and since it's alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, he would go, I've never seen this before, and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. So this is our armor. We have the sword of the Spirit. Uh, it's the Word of God. And so uh, you can go back to Ephesians real quickly. Just look one more time there. But when we go back to Ephesians, he says, uh, and it says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let me tell you something. Many books can inform, but only the Bible can transform. That's the only thing that can change us. The Bible is written by kings, princes, fishermen, statesmen, men educated, uh, men non-educated, tax collectors, rich, poor, shepherds. That's the Bible. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness... What did he say? He said, it is written. He used the word of God. When we go out into this world and the temptations come, this is what the armor of God is for here. When the temptations come, and they're going to come every day, and they're going to come probably every minute of every day, you're going to be in a battle. And when that happens, you've got the Bible. You've got the sword of the Spirit. So think about it. You've got those different things. It is written, and that's why Ezra says you're to know it, you're to apply it, and you're to pass it on. And so, so when you think about it, let me ask you this question. You know, some, uh, that I read a study that said some people are, uh, are, that study the Bible uh, are like a butterfly or a bee or something like that. Uh, 
because uh, they say that they'll look at it and they'll go from one thing to another and some people will examine it and some people will draw something out of it. Uh, the truth is, how do you look at the Scripture? Is the Scripture just something you say, you know, sometimes I, I read a portion of it occasionally? Or do you actually study it? Do you dig the Bible? Do you put it together? I've had people tell me, and, and you know, because our church does expository teaching, which I think is what you're supposed to do. What do you think? Aren't you supposed to do that? Aren't you supposed to teach the Bible verse by verse, passage by passage? Because let me tell you something. The, the book of 2 Thessalonians was written to a group of people at a particular time about particular subjects. We don't just have one verse out of 2 Thessalonians that we know. And you say, 1 Thessalonians, he says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. Many people can say those verses. That's in 1 Thessalonians. What? Oh, thank you. And what, so what is that all about? Well, we have a leak. We have a, it rains so much, so we have a little leak. Is that right? Is it getting caught? Is that why y'all are up here, just to take care of you? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're good, we're good, we're good. So how do you view the Bible? Something to know and to apply and to pass on and to understand it in its context. And if I, you know, sometimes in my grow group, we'll get up and we'll do funny things. We'll say, okay, let's talk about the Bible. How many books in the Bible? How many Old Testament? How many New Testament? Let's divide the Old Testament. How many sections? How many in the New, section, in the New Testament? How does it fit together? What's the central part of the whole Bible? We'll do that. We should all do that. We should all know that, right? You know? And, I mean, we're Christians. We know the, we're supposed to know the Bible. We're supposed to know all of it. Isn't it amazing that some people who aren't Christians who will come to you and they'll say something about the Bible, or they'll say, where is that in the Bible? And we go, I don't know. Well, isn't it our Bible? Isn't it what we're supposed to know? So think about this. We're to know the Word, 2 Timothy 2.15. We're to apply the Word, Philippians 4.9. We're to proclaim the Word, 2 Timothy 4.2. We're to teach the Word, 2 Timothy 2.2. We're to memorize the word, Psalm 119.11. There's so many other places, but we're to put on the armor. Now, I want to show you something that I think is really neat, because when you think about the armor of God, I want you to think about this. Romans 13.14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no... He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is like the armor. When you think like Jesus, I want you to look at this. Jesus is the way and the what? The truth. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is the good news message. See, Jesus is the way. He's the belt of truth. He's the, the breastplate of righteousness. He's the gospel of peace, the new message. He is the one that we have faith. He's the shield of faith. He is the helmet of salvation. He brings salvation. He is the word of God, the sword of the spirit. So I want to say one other thing. When you get to the end of this and you look at the whole armor of God, there's one thing that ties in with it, because he's been saying that in Ephesians. You can't just see it as you look at the armor of God. He then ends it all by saying, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, with this in view, to be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So when we put on the armor of God, we should be praying for each other, that we can stand strong. We, we, we have that charge to stand. So let me give you this before we stop, Okay. So application. Let's stand against the temptations using the armor of God. Now think about it. What is it? First of all, we got the truth, the truth of the Word of God. And you have it. And let me tell you, we need to know it. Okay, second, we have His righteousness, so let's live out our righteousness. Let's live out who we are. Let's walk worthy of the calling in which we've been called. We're called children of God. We're called righteous people. I was reading George Barna. I, I don't really like George Barna. I mean, I mean when I say don't like George Barna, I don't know him personally. His books are always negative because he always is telling how bad the church is. Now, the church as a whole, there are a lot of great people in it, but the church as a whole is not doing real well. 
But he's always negative and always negative and always negative. And he see, always says this, that Christians don't live out who they are. Well, he, he's right about that. As a whole, we don't. I mean, what did Jesus say? They'll know you, that you belong to me by your what? By your love one for another. Are we to live righteously and godly in a fallen world, being lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation? Yeah, we're supposed to be righteous. Let's proclaim the gospel. Think about it. Ask God to give you an opportunity within this next week to tell somebody about Jesus Christ. Just ask him. Lord, give me an opportunity. Let me look for the opportunities. Let me have an opportunity to tell somebody how they can have eternal life. I challenge you, if you do it, you'll have that opportunity. If you ask God and look for the opportunities, you'll have the opportunity. Let's live by faith, taking the shield of faith. That's, that's the truths of the Bible. That's the promises of the Bible, the shield of faith. And then let's understand God's total plan of salvation. And then last but not least, let's know and apply the word of God in our lives. That's the sword of the Spirit. So, that's God's provisions for us. Next week, we're going to begin to see our responsibility. It has to do with our thinking. and has to do with our actions. Uh, one of the things that helps me is that as you look in Scripture, you're not a victim. We're not victims of anything. When we see and we don't go, oh, I couldn't help it. Yeah, you can. We can. I can. Uh, the, God's plan for the world is going, but let me tell you what. He holds everybody responsible because people are responsible for the decisions they make. 